2: The Nose. Welcome to the Nose. We're down here in New Haven. We're here with a wonderful panel. This is uh, going to be a conversation a little bit later about The Incredibles Part Two. Um, we're going to start off, however, with The Jacket That Shook the World, uh, if a jacket can do such a thing. Let me tell you who's here. Uh, Lucy Gelman is the uh, editor of The Arts Paper and a host of WNHH Radio's Kitchen Sink. That's S Y N C. Uh, and also a devoted listener to the podcast Unorthodox. <laughs> Every, everybody is going to be introduced. In terms of the podcast, Unorthodox. Thank you. Brian Slattery is arts editor for the New Haven Independent, uh, a musician, a producer at WNHH Radio. uh, Novelist and well, how would you describe your relationship to the podcast <laughs> Unorthodox?
0: I was wondering how you were going to do it. Yeah. You? We haven't had <laughs> you gone down there Have road. you been? First of all, have and you been Gentile of the week yet on, on the on the podcast? I am Gentile of the week every week.
1: Not the week well, Colin was. <laughs> Not the week. Yeah, Colin was a Gentile <laughs> of the week. I, 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 in, no, in no, my I'm a own two household. time Gentile. That's of right. The, week. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first two two-time Gentile of the week. In fact, uh,
0: admirer of, of an, of an admirer. All right. I think that would
2: be the easiest. Way and, to and Mark Oppenheimer is a longtime Connecticut journalist and the host. Uh, of the uh, podcast on Orthodox, which, by the way, is a terrific and funny and interesting podcast about Jewish issues and Jewish life
1: and, and, and uh, Jewish other things. We're too. the number one Jewish podcast on iTunes, which is sort of like saying we're the number one cricket team yeah. in Nebraska. <laughs> take, <It's like> that, <laughs> take that klezmer week. Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. We'll take what we can get. Um, <laughs> New Haven, the town where there's no intro music, huh? Right, yeah. yeah sorry well, about that. I feel we should apologize for my native town.
2: Right. Uh, no, I don't think it's your fault. I think it's just here in this place. <laughs> I so, think it's your fault, though. Um, we're going to begin with, as I said, the jacket that took the, uh, shook the world. Uh, First Lady Melania Trump walked to her plane at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland wearing a jacket that said, I don't really care, comma, do you, letter U. She was on her way to visit immigrant children, stuck at the border.
1: Um <laughs>
2: We so you said you had nothing to say about this, cried. and already yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: you're you're reacting. I actually have something to say about it.
2: Um, and so the, there have been multiple interpretations of the jacket. Um, one thing that probably is worth pointing out is the jacket is uh, available from Zara, uh, someplace that she probably wouldn't ordinarily buy. She buys, you know, everything's kind of designer and super expensive. Uh, this is a $39 jacket she as Vanessa Friedman remarked on page one of the New York Times today, that would be probably the least expensive thing that she owns. So, um, all right, Mr.
1: I-have-nothing-to-say-about-this. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, I mean— What is your interpretation? First inter- of
2: all, who is this jacket directed at?
1: I think this direction—so I actually— I, I I know who this direct this jacket is directed at. It is directed at the Donald. It's directed at her husband. Mm. Uh, this is a jacket. Look, she's not stupid. I mean, right. it's not clear that she's abundantly talented or or gifted, but she's not stupid. And she, she knows
0: what she is. She is knows it? what she is. And yes. she's yes.
1: she knows that this is doing something to him, that this is further complicating his damage control attempts after, you know, becoming after further reifying his status as the evilest man in some time. Uh, he's trying to do damage control with the separating the families at the border. He's trying to undo it. She's going off to see them, and she's wearing this jacket that basically like gins the whole controversy up all over again because it could be interpreted as saying to the kids, like, who cares about you? Why is she doing this? Um, It seems pretty clear to me, and I think this has been remarked on too little, that they have no marriage, right? Mm -hmm. They're never seen in a moment of affection. they're never seen. He's never seen conferring with her. When you think of other marriages, however difficult or fraught or interesting, the Clintons, obviously, but they were a team. I mean, they are umbilically mm-hmm. yes, connected right. in a very profound way for all of the difficulties right. of their marriage. The Obamas, without question, the Carters, the Reagans, Ronald adored, Nancy. Yes. These were people who had real teamwork in a sense. Um, the Trumps are scarcely ever seen looking at each other. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, she's barely ever seen with her kids. He's almost never seen with the kids. This is a really atomized, unhappy, uh, Pain-riven family, and I think—and who knows where she was when she was in the hospital, disappearing for a couple weeks. I think there's a lot of pain there, and I think that that she was having a, a little fun with with Donald.
2: All right, I have a different interpretation of the jacket, so I'm reassured to know that I, I don't see it the same way that he does. So, Lucy, why don't you go next?
3: I oh, I see it the way Mark does. You, um, just,
2: you think that she is prepared to kind of throw herself into the flames? In order to make him look back,
3: I mean, a little bit, i I also seize on the fact that i I don't think she's stupid, especially um, so in in the New York Times article, one of the things that Vanessa Friedman touched on was the white wearing of the white suit, hmm. which has sort of become the rallying cry for supporters of Hillary Clinton and at, at the inauguration. At you mean. Uh, yes. The white pants at, mm-hmm. at the, was it the inauguration or the first State of the Union?
2: Can't remember. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. first State of the Union.
3: Yeah. And, um, and and so I, I think there's that. I think also she, um, I, th- I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's tongue in cheek. I wondered, you know, I thought, is this cheeky in the way that wearing the heels onto the plane when she was looking at flooding also in Texas, is is this a really cheeky statement as well? What I think is interesting in the internet blowing up about it is there's this continued interest in an attempt to really get to Melania's psyche, and I don't know that anyone has gotten there yet.
2: Right. All right, your turn, Slattery.
0: That was a good segue because I'm <laughs> I'm one of those people that um has given up on trying to get into the psyches of the Trumps in any way. Like I feel like they're just this black box, mm. and we get these strange missives from it now and again <laughs> that we <laughs> attempt to interpret and it's it, it always feels like a lost cause like and of course you want to know what's going on because you want to be able to start predicting what's coming next like the better we understand the first family the more likely we are to anticipate what will be tweeted the next morning you know so i understand why we want to do that but i don't think that we can i think i think it's like you know schrodinger's first family or something i don't i don't know what's going on but i kind of gave up and as a result i i spend a lot of time being more interested in the in the amazing interpretations of this one mm. jacket, right. you know, which 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 really range mm-hmm. you yes. know it, it, it's 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 I mean, there were twenty articles or so that I went through that all had their own take mm-hmm. on what's going on. You think, well, Maybe none of us are right. <laughs> Who knows?
2: Right. And, and I, before, let me forestall a certain number of uh, people tweeting at us. We understand that these things become distractions and that there are really substantial problems that sit underneath them that are much more important and need to be talked about. Yes. And that this may also be part of the Trump overarching strategy or accidental strategy uh, that they do this so well. On the other hand, there's something kind of irresistible about it. I mean, it's irresistible. All these things are irresistible. I mean, to your point, Mark, about her disappearance, I find myself thinking of the movie Agatha, um, which is based on a real incident where Agatha Christie disappeared for, I don't know, 11 days or something. Oh, and really? All of England was looking for her. And they had things like Arthur Conan Doyle and people like that were in the press trying to explain, they hired newspapers were hiring psychics, because it was one of the most <laughs> famous women in the world. And she just left her car somewhere and disappeared. Uh, and she had actually recently found out that her husband was having an affair. And this actually did turn out to be part, and she checked into a hotel under the name of... Her husband's mistress for mm. some strange reason, and and so when Melania disappeared, I was thinking, well, this is like Agatha because <laughs> all the Stormy Daniels stuff was kind of <laughs> happening, and right. I, yeah. see, this is how I like I like the Oppy Lucy theory very much. I do like it very much, and I would love to think that that were true. Um, although there's
1: a, a certain amount. It of makes more sense
2: than a political statement.
1: At the sense. very least, at the very least, she's refusing with something like this to coordinate with his communications people. Now, of course, of <laughs> at <the>, at course, <laughs> let me just run this jacket by you right. before we well, do it. Okay? I mean, look, but they coordinate everything. Seriously. I mean, they, they these image in you know, a well run yeah. comms shop, as they say, everything is is planned out now, of course. He doesn't coordinate with his own communications people. So there's yeah. no reason no. she should. I mean, it's, I'm mean, it's, not sure he coordinates with himself. That's right. So, yeah, But at seems, the very she's least, starving. she's not waking up in the morning. They're not sharing a bed, and she gets up in the morning and says, Donald, do you like this jacket? And he says, I don't know. Let's run it by, you know, uh, what's her, you know, Kellyanne. I mean, it, the, none of the normal stuff that goes on in the White House, all of us would run, is happening there.
2: Right. So here's my my theory is that this is more of a creed de cour you know, that it's it, – this is a woman who – uh, you know, I don't think I ever thought her husband was going to win this election and that she was going to be thrust into this role. And whatever kind of deal or arrangement that they had pre-presidency was either satisfactory or not satisfactory. But it, what to whatever extent it wasn't, she could deal with this in her own way and on her own terms. And suddenly she's first lady of a country she's not even from and getting like a whole lot of scrutiny about and, all kinds of stuff. And there's where my sympathy comes in. Like right. I
0: just can't imagine... Being handed that kind of job,
2: <laughs> right? And 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 insurable at some level, at yes. least for all kinds of policies that she doubtless finds repugnant and 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 having cameras pointed at her I mean she's no stranger to cameras she's a model but this is really really different and, and having ever her, her every behavior parsed and having people wonder what does she think about stormy Daniels and anybody else who's like stormy Daniels and and I think th- I saw the jacket as th- this kind of existential mm. statement like I don't care I don't <laughs> care about any of this uh, like here's a $39 jacket that kind of sums up how I'm feeling yeah
3: oh I, I just wanted Wanted to bring it. Was it? Was it Jessica Williams' tweet? The like Obama jacket uh, versus the tan death? suit. Yeah. 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 But um. But I did think that kind of clapback was really important. And and not just to say like, oh, ha ha ha, here's a funny thing. Yeah. But like, let me remind you in this way that seems comedic at first, but you know, you're going to laugh because otherwise you would cry at how far removed we are from the reality that we knew not that long ago.
2: Right. So just for people who don't remember, uh, President Obama on one occasion did wear this kind of tan Sports jacket. Was it a suit or a sports jacket? I think it was, it was a windbreaker, a wasn't it? No, 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 okay. no, 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 it wasn't a windbreaker.
0: I kind of remember it oh. being a suit. Yeah. I okay. think it was think a it suit. Was a, I
2: think it was a suit. But it was tan, which apparently pres- I'd never given I any thought. I had the picture up in my locker. Yeah. <laughs> And and it was sort of a thing. It was there was an outcry. And they made fun of him for it. Yeah, and there was like this is not presidential and presidents don't dress like this. But you know, know people thought
1: people thought brown wasn't a presidential color until Reagan wore it. Right. I mean, you, mm-hmm. like serious. Yeah. You know, you'll never see a brown suit in Mad Men. I mean, serious business people right. and men of affairs did not wear brown until Reagan did. Um, I mean, they also didn't dye their hair much until Reagan did. I mean, there's there's all sorts of things that he basically said. No, I'm my aesthetic is you know California is Sacramento leisure. And that's what I'm going to – that's Sacktown sack town chillaxing. And that's what we're going to run with. And, you know. You know, it, it reminded me
2: – the whole thing reminds me a little bit of – I think it might have been in the Oscars years ago. But it was a thing where Whoopi Goldberg was hosting something. And they were – they threw to – I think it was the Oscars and they were showing some of the costumes. And they threw to kind of a runway scene where all these supermodels were walking by. As the way supermodels do, is they walk a runway, and they cut back to Whoopi and say, "She said, you know, you got to hand it to supermodels. They're getting paid ten thousand dollars an hour, and they still look pissed off." Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's sort of, you know, that's the world that she comes mm. from too. That you know, there there is a way in which she must be you know, underneath that incredible stolid exterior, she must be just seething with all kinds of emotions and thoughts and things like that that she can't possibly share in any I mean, what is she gonna do? Like go sit down with
1: Anderson Cooper well, and say, like I hate right. this, I hate right. my life. To be Here fair to be fair, she's not <laughs> maybe a, year three. You she's know? not a prisoner. She could leave. She could. I mean she could leave. But not without consequences. What would the consequences be if she left if she said I want I a divorce? Know. I don't know what's in knows. the prenup. Knows. Who knows? Yeah. I mean yeah. Who, yeah. Well I mean, yeah, it might not be a a, a, a very winning. We may for find her. out. I mean, but that, I mean, she could say, "I wanted to." You're allowed to get divorced right. while in the White House. She's not chained to him. Yeah, I
2: mean, I, I mean, we that day may not be far away. But I, I anyway, I saw the jacket as being kind of a, a stand-in for "I hate my life." Mm. Um, so. <laughs>
1: And <laughs> so, that inspired you. She could have written up. that on the jacket. <laughs> my life. I,
3: I, I,
2: well, Zara doesn't me? make that
1: jacket.
3: Can Can I just add one more thing? I which wish is you was. This, this This is interesting to think of uh, in terms of Michelle Obama. I'm totally different from Michelle Obama. But um, but bringing it back to Zara as an affordable brand, you know, yeah. this is maybe the only time we will see Melania Trump wear Zara or something that other people could afford. But that's something that Michelle Obama was actually known for wearing: J. Crew and Banana Republic and mm. and Made Well, um, and. And, and so again to think of like how far we've traveled yeah. from that point and, and now how far that discussion is from the normalcy we knew mm-hmm. right.
0: have we heard from Zara yet about how they I don't know that they've issued any kind of
3: statement I mean well, Zara well, how- is also like a terrible company They're just, as far as human <laughs> rights violations are, are concerned
1: Right. I would also add that I do look forward to the day when nobody cares what the first lady wears mm-hmm. I mean I, I there I mean, is this she's already of, established that she doesn't I mean, care right, there, That's really right, right. <laughs> right I mean there is this Acceptance. And I think it's a, it's an acceptance that's been fought for in part by um by the magazines, by Vogue, by Teen Vogue, by fashion writers. I mean, Vanessa Friedman's very good at what she does and very smart, and, and I want to take nothing away from them. Ultimately, though, we're a better society if nobody talks about the politicians' clothing. It is it is a concession. Yeah. It is a it is a concession yes. to pre-feminist times. It is I find it ultimately kind of sexist. And I, I don't like the fact that there's a lot of collusion in the women's magazines and the fashion pages and women writers in saying this stuff matters a ton. It matters a ton in a very sad way, which is that people judge mm. women and judge humans by what they wear. Well, We'd be more question. sophisticated if we didn't care. Let me ask you a question.
2: As a master of journalism, which you are, you are a master of journalism. <laughs> Why, thank you.
1: Um, so Robin Given a few years ago yeah. won a surprise Prize yeah. for fashion commentary. Did that bother you? No, it didn't no. bother me because I think there can be very, very smart writing about uh, about about anything. Yeah. Frankly, I think there could be smart writing about The Incredibles too, which, as we'll <laughs> discover, was not my uh, was not my Flasco whiskey. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I think there can be good writing about anything. But I think that um, it that good writing about this will always keep should always have somewhere in mm. the back of its mind the fact that like we shouldn't be writing that much or taking that seriously. Uh, what women wear. Yeah. Except that, I
2: mean, I don't know, with somebody like Michelle Obama, who I really did enjoy the stuff that she wore, and I like looking at her anyway, not in an Anthony Lane kind of sick way or anything like that, but I just kind of, you know, I mean, I and I think she did change some of the American aesthetic a little bit. There are certainly people in America who probably never thought of an African-American woman in some of those terms, you know. I, I think that the fashion can become important. You're but dying I, to say something. I,
3: yeah, I, th- I think what we're not talking about is, is the f- so there's the fashion piece of it, but then also the fact that it had this message on it right and when you have a graphic on anything it can be a dress, mm-hmm. t-shirt jacket expensive inexpensive um you're you're completely shifting it, believe me when i read a newspaper article that mentions a candidate's high heels i just like that scream mm-hmm. it's very real
2: yeah yeah all right so yes something else no. no. He's no. Just, uh, he's, uh, he can see the little messages yes. that I get. Well, what do you think we should do? Should we talk about Garfield or should we go to a break?
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is so awkward. I love it. <laughs> um, I I don't know.
2: All right. We're going go to a break. Uh, we're gonna go to a break. We're going to go to a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about The Incredibles 2. And then if there's like surplus time, we can still talk. I don't. I never figured out how Garfield even got on our radar screen, but anyway, this is the cat by the way, not the president. Page-to-day <laughs> calendars. Right. I don't know what Mrs. Garfield wore. Maybe she wore a, t- a sweatshirt that said, "I hate this." Uh, in which case, well
1: never back. <laughs> and picking up black.
3: I want a girl with a short skirt and a long jacket.
2: This is one of these episodes of The Nose where the off-air conversations are every bit as interesting as the on-air conversations. This is one of these episodes of The Nose where the off-air conversations are every bit as interesting as the on-air conversations. And I don't mean to say that for the purpose of making you feel deprived. but. Like if if I, I don't know, like they were just talking about something that I had no awareness of. And now I feel like maybe it needs to be a topic next time or something. Uh, Anyway, uh, the topic that we're about to approach right now is called the uh, Incredibles 2. Uh, It is, uh, it took 14 years uh, between the Incredibles 1 and the Incredibles 2. Although nothing seems to have changed or happened very much in the lives of these characters. Uh, But uh, one of the things that is happening is that they are uh, persecuted. The Incredibles, of course, is this kind of nuclear family. Bob and Helen and their kids. Uh, They have superpowers. Superpowers are being frowned on. Uh, They are uh, are actually relegated to a kind of dingy-looking motel room uh, where they're all living together. Uh, But they have a patron uh, coming along. His name is Winston Deaver. He is voiced, as you will hear, by Bob Odenkirk. uh, And he is willing to try to help them somehow. And he's got quite a bit of money to spend on it. So here we go. Let me ask you something. What is the main reason you were all forced underground? Ignorance. Perception. Take today, for example, with the Underminer. Difficult situation. You were faced with a lot of hard decisions. Oh, Tell me about it. I can't, because I didn't see it. Neither did anyone else. So when you fight bad guys like today, people don't see the fight or what led up to it. They see what politicians tell them to see. They see destruction, and they see you. So if we want to change people's perceptions about superheroes, we need you to share your perceptions with the world.
3: How do we
0: do
1: that? With cameras. (laughs) We need you to share your perceptions with the world. How do we do that? We embed tiny cameras like those into your super suits. Wow, so small. And the picture is outstanding. Thanks. Designed to myself.
2: You hear the voices of Holly Hunter, of course, and that is Catherine Keener as uh, Winston Devers, and not entirely trustworthy. Well, we, we shouldn't say that. Uh, who's interest, interesting sister, Evelyn. Uh, so um, I'm just going to go around the table kind of get a little sense of... Uh, I mean, I already know, but get let you get a little sense <laughs> of what people think. Uh, and, so I'm, and for uh, devious purposes, Brian, I'm going to start with you.
0: All right. So I'm the person who liked this movie because I thought it was super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... That in some ways is the full stop version of this. <laughs> but it's, it's mostly that I am a big fan of Brad Bird, the director. Um, I think he, he does the best action scenes around, whether live action or not. Like the, my favorite Mission Impossible movie is the one that he did, because it has the coolest stunts in it. And animation lets him do even cooler stunts. Yes, Ghost Protocol. Yeah. Um, but it, because he can, you know, when he's animating something, the stunts get even cooler, you mm. know, beyond anyone's ability to perform them and like that's kind of what I signed up for and that's what I got and I was very pleased with that and I also sort of just like I saw the whole thing as a sort of pleasant satire like having it based in a sort of weird version of the 60s mm. um, it's it's it gets it gets to ask some questions about what's changed since the early 60s and what hasn't you know the, the gender roles the race relations all of that stuff it was having a lot of fun with things that um, we usually take very seriously and in some ways, that was very refreshing to me.
2: Right. And we should say that, I mean, asked to give a plot summary here, uh, I would struggle a little bit because there isn't that much of a plot. There's a sort of a yeah. series of interlinked situations. There's just situations. Enough plot to keep the thing moving right. along. Yeah. Kind they of a series to, to, of interlinked situations and some conversations, basically, about how people should yeah. act.
1: They have to rescue the city.
2: Right. They yeah. Survive. Well, they always do. Yeah. Right. But- um, Yeah. When don't they? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to circle back to all that. But Lucy, how about you?
3: Sure. Um, I, I didn't love it. I am not a big watcher of superheroes. Movies. Full disclosure. Um, but I found it more charming in parts than I thought I would. So there are things about this movie that are very sweet, and I think Brian, in some ways, hit the nail on on the nose. The ha- whatever. Um, when Let's go for the nose when he he yeah. said you you know you think about maybe what has changed and what hasn't. Um, and as a female viewer, I found myself thinking about that a lot. Uh, in the scenes that are very tender about a uh, father's relationship with his three children. Uh, I thought there was way too much over-reliance on one of the characters, Jack-Jack, who is a baby, um, but I, I did, I found certain parts sweet, and uh, I will say one unsung hero of this movie, I think, is the teenage daughter, Violet, mm-hmm. who is trying to navigate her own relationship with boys in high school, and I totally felt her in, in a lot of the sequences, and um, and I wanted more of her.
2: So one thing that we can say without spoiling anything is that uh, it, it just works out that Helen, the wife, uh, is the person who... Uh, who is uh, chosen to kind of carry the flag for uh, a recrudescence of superheroes and it doesn't sit entirely well with Bob. Bob is her husband, and he's much more interested in being a superhero in a very latent way than she is. Uh, he instead is. Basically, put into a, um, a, a kind of rebooting of Mr. Mom. You know, he's home with these three kids and he doesn't necessarily have any real obvious skills at uh, dealing with them, but he starts in this very kind of plucky way trying to learn how to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it is, as Brian says, set in the 60s, but it's being shown in 2018. And it's, I don't know, I f- Mark, I found it asking a whole bunch of questions hmm. that I thought
1: had already been answered,
2: but I'm probably a little over hopeful about that
1: you know um he was as competent a dad as lots of dads i know uh, there are, he know, seemed realistically competent he seemed realistically he actually right. wasn't su- he was far more competent than michael keaton in mr mom mm-hmm. um you know what's interesting to me about this movie and and not it's there's not much that is but one thing that was interesting to me was the the mashup between sort of early nineteen sixties, mid-century modern in in the furniture design, in the clothes they were wearing, in the cars that were being driven, and uh, you know, futuristic laser beams from the year twenty one-twenty one. It was it's like,
0: like it's like how people yeah. in the sixties imagined the future would be. Right,
1: right. <laughs> and and here's the thing is, you know, I, I don't tend to be an aesthetic absolutist. I mean perceptions are relative and there's no accounting for taste. But when you look at those cars and those clothes and that furniture and those you know, it was better back then. I mean cars were beautiful. <laughs> the Car were at a particularly ugly moment for cars. But <laughs> but whenever the cars wafted through, that's when that's when you knew that it was actually Set, I think, a long time ago because that furniture is in my house and your houses. Like, that is still, that's actually the currently popular furniture. And people can dress like that. But the cars on the street really were from 1959 or 60 or so. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was actually a very interesting, um, to me, that playing with time and saying, let's take the best from all these different epochs was really, really interesting. Um, And it turns out there's nothing good from the current one, nothing from 2018. Everything's either from the future, 40 years of the future, or 40 years of the past. Otherwise, the movie to me was like a perfect adequate superhero romp that would have been better with live action people and live action superhero movies would be better if they were um, adult rom-coms made decently or dramas acted by <laughs> you know grown up <laughs> actors from real scripts so while I am all for escapism and I enjoyed the movie adequately I do I am left with that sense of like what else I could have done with the $20 that you know it cost me and Rebecca for tickets so and popcorn and too. you know I'm not, I'm not I, you know I'm a little bit cranky about this I thought it was a perfectly fine movie I really do like escapism um, when, when done well that said, I looked at the marquee of the Cineplex in North Haven last night, and like eight of the ten movies are either horror hmm. or superhero or Jurassic World, and I thought something's gone very wrong in Hollywood.
2: Well, see, he can see when you send these little messages to me. Saying...
0: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Would you like to know what my son thought of this movie? Yeah, what did your son think
1: <laughs> By the way, then I'm going to tell you what my daughter thought because we'll no, say perfect. really interesting things about our yeah, respective totally. households.
0: So my my son my son just thought it was fun. Yeah. Um, he liked The plot was, like, just enough plot for him that he could stay ahead of it, which he really liked. Like, he liked that he could predict what was going to happen. Um, He's 11 years old. I was going to say, the thrill of that may start to wear off at some point. (laughs) Yes. No, exactly. But he was sort of pleased. You know, he goes, like, I knew it. I knew it the whole time. You know, and then – but he also said, like, you know, he said, so how does this rank compared to other movies you've seen? He's like (laughs) – the way the conversation when he's like, it's not really, like, I was like, is it like top 50? He goes like, I don't think I've seen 50 movies. And I was like, you have definitely seen 50 movies. He's like, then it's definitely top 50. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So sweet. And so you know, it he seems enjoyed
0: like it, but a piece of dialogue from The Incredibles and, yeah. actually. He enjoyed it,
2: but it didn't
1: blow his mind. How far apart you know? in age are Rebecca and Leo? Like a month? Right? They're like, yeah, 3 w- days. Or days or something, yeah. right? They were they were <laughs> our wives were pregnant at the same time. And of course, Leo's yeah. been raised by a sci-fi dweeb, sci-fi novelist Excuse like you. Excuse me. And and Rebecca's <laughs> been raised by an unimaginative, you know, realism curmudgeon. lover, curmudgeon like me. And but actually, she said about the same thing with perhaps a little more of a gimlet eye. She said, "Um, it was fine, but I like the movies I've seen with people in them." right well
2: let me just bring up one thing that I think is kind of uh, nice. important about the Incredibles that we're not saying um, and, and I'm going to direct it at Lucio oh, there's something sure. that, b- that, Please. B- that Brian uh, could I, I will also being uh, a fi- sci-fi fantasy dweeb which I also am okay so one of the things we know about most, super, most superheroes configurations is be my idea. they're not families right they're just not you yeah. know if the Guardians of the Galaxy get tired of each other they just go off and do something <laughs> else you know if Thor gets sick of the Avengers <laughs> he can just walk away right, right? it's just like the I exit mean strategy nobody's right. Right. I mean, there are these kind of found families; right. these things, you know, where the people in Fast and Furious, like, well, we are brothers and stuff. Well, you're not really brothers. And, like, <laughs> yeah. if, you get, if you don't like it, you brothers until you ran out so of gas. So, these, the Incredibles right. are unusual in that they are in yeah. a nuclear family. They have the, the thing that they have to make work along with saving the city is they've got to make this family, this nuclear family, work. And I do think that's one of the places where this is in some fairly fresh territory for the genre.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. Colin, I'd like to return to your point, and I think it's within this, about whether or not uh, some of the questions that the movie is asking are actually passe. Mm-hmm. So there are these questions of like, are we past the point where it's surprising for the woman to take a big job or a promotion uh, over her husband? Or is it, are we past the point where it's surprising for a dad to stay at home with the kids. And I think you came down we firmly on the... That point. No, and, and I don't <laughs> think we're... And as watching this, so I'm uh, I'm the only person in the room who doesn't have kids, um, but I'm also in my late 20s, which means that as a woman, you're thinking about that clock all mm-hmm. the time. And uh, when I was watching that movie, there were so many things going through my head like, no, we're, we're definitely not past the, that point. And I think if anything, we're, we're in a moment where the conversation around gender... Still feels uh, very, very constraining.
2: I was told by the other person in my house that I was wrong, and that <laughs> yeah, that, that you essentially are right. Oh, okay. Um, and I stand, I do stand well, corrected. Yeah, I mean, look, I if would... you if you wanted to like peg this to something in the news, so yesterday the prime minister of New Zealand, a woman, had a baby while in office. She's the first world leader to do that in thirty years. Benazir Bhutto was the last wow. woman oh God, to run a wow. country and have a baby yeah, while in office. Right. So that's so you're absolutely right, that's Lucy. I mean, as a as a planet, we're no we're near, you know, any kind of you know shared understanding about these questions.
1: I would add to Lucy's point. I think she's a hundred percent right. I would add that we are not past the point when it's okay to talk about um, professional working people of either sex staying home. I mean, the assumption oh, in elite circles now is, is that, that everyone works all works. the is that yeah, everyone work all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and the idea. I mean, it would be fairly. Of course, it is. That is. That is. Uh, you know, that's a first world problem for the the ability to stay home is uh, is a choice that you can make if you have the financial means to stay home. And there are plenty of people who don't have partners. I mean, there's all sorts of assumptions that we're working from here. But in elite liberal movie-making circles, um, the idea that anyone would take time off from working the way that Mr. Incredible does here and stay home and take care of the baby um, for a while, and give up income right. is is like we are we are that's that's almost unheard of. People don't do people don't take the maternity and paternity leave they have in this country uh, because they think it's so important to work all the time.
3: But I also think so. In the in the movie, I also think. You know, at the, at the beginning, they say to Mrs. Incredible, uh, to Elastigirl, Mrs. Incredible, you'll go first. And then Mr. Incredible will have his his turn, his mm-hmm. moment in the spotlight. And so I think there's even for him the sense when he becomes uh, Mr. Mom for a little while that, OK, I'm just going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And and it ends up that he's not just trudging through it. At the end of the day, he actually really enjoys that work. And, oh, isn't that, you know, heartrending and very touching. Um, but there's a sense of like I'll, I'll put the time in now and then she'll stay at, at home with the kids and I'll go fight bad guys
2: right. all right so this is a somewhat neat segue into the second part of our conversation which has to do with the New Yorker critic uh, Anthony Lane who Anthony Lane who's kind of famous for being impish and naughty in his reaction to women who he finds fetching, as he would probably say, um, uh, in movies. And in this case, it happened to be someone who was drawn. Um, uh, Well, of course, Jessica Rabbit famously said, I'm not a bad girl. I'm just drawn that way, drawn that way. And so he uh, has some of those same feelings about Helen, Elastigirl, uh, voiced by Holly Hunter. Uh, And in his review, you know, he said a bunch of stuff. And he starts out by saying that one of the first exchanges between the between Mr. and Mrs. Incredible uh, is that Mr. Incredible says, trampoline me! uh, And Anthony Lane feels like he's bracing himself for some pretty kinky stuff, and it just turns out to be one of the ways they solve one of the many crime-fighting problems that they have. But they, it goes on and on, and he talks about her resemblance uh, to the lead in Six Degrees of Separation. Uh, no, and, Fifty Shades oh, 50 of Grey. <laughs> what are they? Six What Yeah, I got my numbers the wrong. The Will Smith. Oh yes, Will Smith. The yeah, it looks exactly those like Will Smith. Things. No, no, no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, it's I really want to see that. Yeah. So three hundred <laughs> degrees right. of separation and Grey. Uh, well, anyway, um, no, okay. So, but well, thank you for str- setting me straight there. So, uh, so anyway, uh, she, he, the, he thinks that, and then there's this whole. There is a little sort of moment that uh, takes place between uh, Helen uh, and the other prominent woman in the care in, in the thing, which is the sister Evelyn, who's who's ba- based, uh, who's voiced by Catherine Keener. I'm all flustered now. You got me all flustered. Uh, and don't be flustered, yeah. Helen. So anyway, Anthony Lane has basically been accused of being. And the word that's been slugged around quite a bit is horny. He's too horny, and he's horny in particular about a cartoon character, and that this is disgusting. Um so you can't go first about this. One. Okay. Somebody else Lucy, uh, you go first.
3: Oh, I, I mean I I can go first in so far as I you know I read it and I thought it was icky, but I didn't think it was particularly surprising or worthy of outrage. So when when I saw the movie and I saw it with my partner, who is a straight man and uh and as we were leaving the theater, he said, you know, I don't really like how Elastigirl was portrayed, and I said, oh, well, me neither, but, you know, I played with Barbies as a kid, and they couldn't sit down if they were, uh, if they were real-life human beings. And so, this is something that um, didn't sit well with me in the movie, but when I read it in the review, I kind of thought, well that's gross, but I'm going to go, you know, it's like, that's gross. You finish the review and you go and and do your thing. Like, All right.
2: I'm, I'm being told that I should read the most offending passage. Uh, he says, which brings us to the other event. Take your seat at any early evening screening at Incredibles 2. I was at one of those uh, yesterday uh, in the coming days. Listen carefully and you may just hear a shifty sound as of parents squirming awkwardly behind their enraptured, beside their enraptured children. And why kids? Because mommy just leaned over to daddy and whispered, is it Just me or does Mrs. Incredible kind of look like Anastasia in Fifty Shades of Grey? You know, the girl in the red room with the whips and all? And Daddy just rested his cooling soda firmly in his lap and, like Mr. Incredible, tried very hard to think of algebra. As for how Daddy will react later on during the scene in which Helen and the husky-voiced Evelyn unwind and simply talk woman to woman, I hate to think, but watch out for flying popcorn. (laughs)
3: but but it's also can I say yeah. like this is hardly and and I think Brian uh also ag- agrees with this point this is hardly the first time that a guy has admitted to having a fantasy about two women now whether they're two the women who are cartoon to be, characters yeah two who happen to be cartoon characters <laughs> yeah but um and and can we say the the B-O-N-E... Word on public radio. Well, I don't, I don't see a meaningful happens. distinction no, between spelling spell and it, it. as <laughs> a. <laughs> yes, you may say, so say boner." Two B-O-N-E-R. <laughs> so, so, Brian very rightly pointed out before we were on air that this is hardly the first time someone has had a boner in, you know, for a cartoon and in cartoon history. And so, I, Brian, I'd, I'd like you to jump in and, 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 yeah. would, and also tell
2: us the first time that did. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, the, the, it, okay, when we were talking. Before, well, what I was saying was that I mean that's like R. Crumb's career in a nutshell. Right? right? He grew up he grew up being attracted to these cartoon characters and mm. then made like an entire artistic career out of the whole thing and his various complicated feelings about that. And you know, I I, I happen to think he's one of those people who is who is one step ahead of his critics most of the time. Mm. But that's so that's sort of like built into cartoons. Um, but that said, I mean, when I read that review, my first thought was like, what? Like speak, speak for yourself. I wasn't, you know, that was. I was just thinking. I was watching an action movie, yeah. and, mm. you know. So yes, but it, but it is. I mean, it is kind of like part of the DNA of of cartoon and comic culture, and that's something that that the culture itself is coming to terms with now that it's no longer an underground, fringy thing, you know, and and has a lot more women in it for that matter. Um, that's something that you know within the culture, it's still really it's still really working out, and that's actually a pretty interesting conversation.
1: I just didn't I think this is one of those cases where if we'd all read the review, as perhaps some of us did, without knowing that there would have been Twitter controversy mm. about it, I don't think any of us would have said, Oh my God. Anthony Lane made double entendres in his review. Double entendres or references to sexuality or or even yes. perviness, as he was accused of, or horniness, uh, can exist nicely if well-turned and appropriately deployed in criticism, in all kinds of literature, in poetry. I mean, what are we going to throw out Philip Larkin? I mean, here's the thing. The, first of all, this is a Twitter controversy only, which is to say it's a fake controversy, right? Mm. There's no actual human lives on whom this touches down. There are no actual wronged people here. I mean, there's a sense, if you read some of the tweets, and I'm not on Twitter anymore, so I had to read them as screenshots and, and in articles that summarized it, but there's a sense that some somehow people have been attacked or wronged. There is a, literally no victim. I mean, literally, this is a comment about about yes. cartoon characters. Um, it feels very harmless. It, it, I and, agree. And, and third of all, it's not an unfair point that I mean that was especially I think with the two women with the the Holly Hunter and Catherine Keener voiced characters it struck me as a homosocial indeed eroticized moment so are are the critics asking that that not be noted I I, I really of well,
2: Chris you could note it in a number of ways that didn't involve your popcorn being propelled up in the air by but, a b o never mind but um, yeah but, <laughs> well, but let me let me just let me let me, let me just I mean, first of all, I have a lot of things to say about that, but Lucy, I mean, there is a serious thing to say about this, which is that there aren't enough female film critics. That's correct. If it were a 50-50 split, you know, then I think. I don't know how you could, I, then I'm totally 100% on the Oppenheimer side of this line, which is, oh, if it's a 50-50 split and everybody gets to have their gaze towards whatever and and then talk about it however they want to, I, I can't imagine that there could be a problem with Anthony Lane. I mean, David Edelstein went through the same thing last year with Wonder Woman, where he was too attracted to Wonder Woman. Was he Woman not or, supposed to say
1: Gal Gadot's attractive? <laughs> is that not. where we are?
2: Yeah. I mean, nor is Paul Newman yeah, right, right. not I, attractive. I get it in the context of there being a lot of men writing film criticism yeah. who are who feel comfortable expressing their male gaze reactions to these women nothing wrong with that except there's not enough of a counterpoise
3: yeah yeah i would agree with that also if you think about who is doing film criticism now in the world of podcasting again some of the best no like if if you're thinking of film spotting for instance you've got men and often male guests as well. Uh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I I totally agree with that. I also think with this review, one question that I found my myself asking with the Anastasia Steele comparison was, does it just do the work? Like, does it do the work? The... Uh, the world of film is so big mm-hmm. and so why like, why choose that character? Is Fifty Shades of Grey specifically the best analogue? I mean if if we really get into the nitty gritty of this is it the best analogue to choose? Yeah
2: I didn't. I, I thought that was a silly uh, first of all I don't think anybody yeah. has l- ever leaned over and said that in any right. of the
1: screenings <laughs> of the movie No, It was <laughs> Anthony so Lane it's, taking it's, liberties to be Anthony Lane. It's, I mean his, his reviews often don't tell you much about the movie. They are performances of his own.
3: Right they're often gross and naughty too.
2: Yeah, but they're also, I mean, I, I'm going to make uh, the uh, argument in the endorsements that they're often read out loud funny, mm-hmm, yeah. too. I mean, they're like paragraphs that yes. you actually have, it, and by the way, to read the, to the person sitting By the way, to. the
1: naughtiest, sexiest film critic who's not working anymore in film criticism is Lindy West. I mean, you go read her old review. Read her review of Sex and the City, too, mm-hmm. which is the lewdest, uh, funniest thing you've ever read. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely par- – I mean, Pauline Kael – Literally, her books had titles like I Lost It at the Movies. I mm-hmm. mean, every title she had of her five collections was a sexual double entendre. Mm. I don't think we want to – I don't know. That's No, critics, we don't want to lose that. Critics it's going to have fun, too.
2: Exactly. But, I mean, I do – I think everybody would feel a lot better if there were more – if Pauline Kill were still here and, and if there were more people doing mm-hmm. that. And then it's all – then, like, yeah, let's all go to the movies and get really horny. Uh, but if we're, <laughs> if we're all – but if most of us are getting horny in one certain way – You know, um, I think that's sort of what makes people squirm a little bit. I mean, if that's not the case, I'm going to be very disappointed when parody comes because, you know, I don't see any point in putting Anthony Lane through the ringer about this. Except that again, maybe there's he hasn't been put through
1: the ringer. There've just been tweets about him. Well, That's not a real it thing. Says right here, it's Mark, not a that, real thing.
2: No, it says right here on the internet that this is what everybody's oh, talking about. Everybody, <laughs> so everybody. Afraid, why is everybody yeah, talking about? I'm afraid you're wrong because the article says <laughs> ah, everybody. The article by Gabrielle Paella from The Cut says ah. why everyone is talking about the New Yorker <laughs> film critics, uh, New Yorker film critic, and Incredibles too. Everyone is everybody. talking about it. I think so,
1: everyone is the liberal some people. people. <laughs> You know, (laughs) my apologies to everyone. All right.
2: So if you haven't been talking about this, now you can talk about it and you can join everyone. Except that everyone has already moved on to something else. They're all talking about the jacket. No, they're not. (laughs) So so catch up, catch up, catch up. That's why you're listening to The Nose. All right. I'm going to leave us a little extra time, I think, for endorsements. Either that or we have to talk about Garfield. uh, And I don't want to. His 40th anniversary, you mean? His 40th anniversary. But...
3: Today's show was produced
1: by Jonathan McPants. The part of Bill Curry was played by Bob Odenkirk. On Monday, we'll be back with news from over the weekend on The Scramble. And now... Back to Colin.
2: All right. So I am back here in the studios uh, in New Haven. Uh, The music's all fixed, as you can tell. Mark Oppenheimer's here, Brian Slattery. uh, And Lucy, um, you're going to get us going here with uh, recommendations. Uh, We're going to uh, offer you some things that might spice up uh, your weekend a little bit. Why don't you go first?
3: Yeah, I have two quick endorsements. The first is uh, the Freshworks Play Festival. So it's a festival of new plays. It's free at Collective Consciousness Theater, which is located in Erector Square in New Haven. There's one reading tonight at 7 p.m. And two readings tomorrow. I think one's at 3 p.m. and one's at 7 p.m. They're all new plays. They're all by people of color. I think it's really uh, just wonderful that this is in New Haven and very exciting. People can go out for it. Also, tomorrow.
2: Oh, before you go on, is there like a website where people who didn't yes, just everything that it you is, just said? It is
3: socialchangetheater.org. Okay, socialchangetheater.org. Um, and people dot could also Google collective consciousness theater, and it's theatra. like like with the R E Uh, because they, yeah, they're fancy. Um, And, and the other thing is tomorrow is world refugee day and New Haven is showing out for it. So um, one thing at 1 p.m. The International Festival of Arts and Ideas has added a performance of Toto Kasaku's play Requiem for an Electric Chair. Toto is a refugee from Congo who won political asylum a couple months ago. He's a very famous theater director and he acts in this as well. And it's a beautiful piece of theater that I highly recommend people to go out to and and check out. The other thing is all day, uh, all afternoon, there is there are festivities for World Refugee Day um, at Trinity Church on the Green that Iris, the um, integrated refugee...
2: They're a great
3: organization. Yes. Chris George. Yes, Chris George. Um, So check it out. Enjoy New Haven.
2: I would like to re- uh, report that during this particular segment, Mark Oppenheimer pulled his Tevas back on and kind of got the, It's like you're, you're going to like sprint out of here. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like
1: I've got to gird myself. Like I'm going right. to wait till you see how many re- recommendations I have. All right. Well, go. Okay. Um, so I've read a couple good since getting off Facebook last week, mm. uh, and I should say my first recommendation is just get off social media. Twitter, Facebook. I've been off both of them for now about a week, and it's and I've read two novels and seen two movies, and it's like so liberating. It's 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 I, just get off. Um, life's too short. Uh, so that's my first uh, endorsement. Um, one of the books is this book, The Force, by Don Winslow, mm-hmm. who wrote the book Savages, that I think b- that became a movie. Was that an Oliver Stone movie? It was an Oliver Stone. With Blake Lively. It was not a good Oliver Stone. Oh, no, no. I thought the movie was fabulous. I thought the movie was, like, <laughs> sexy and violent and wonderful. It was, like, the best Brian De Palma movie he never made. And uh, But Don Don Winslow wrote the book on which it was based. His recent book about corruption in the New York City Police Department called The Force, which I think came out a year or two ago. It's just out in paperback. Is out of this world. I mean, it would be interesting for people to read that book and then ask themselves, like, what is it that a um, – that a Philip Roth or an Alice Munro or a Lori Moore or these other literary fiction people has on this. I mean it's it's genre it's pulpy to the core but it is as moving and profound as anything I've read in a long time. Um, and then the the other one that I'll give, a book that I read a few weeks ago is the, the joint memoir by the Duplass Brothers by Mark and J. Mm-hmm. Duplass which is, at, has anyone here read that? It, no, it's, I mean I've no, read the interviews that go along with it. It's as good and moving and touching a book about brotherhood as anything I've encountered and as someone with two brothers whom I'm very close to it's just so moving to see these two brothers who have been they used to sleep in each other's beds Mm -hmm. they were four years apart in age and at like 14 and 10 they were still like clinging to each other at night which is unusual i should say the book is so sweet and it also says a lot about hollywood and its problems and filmmaking and i just uh, i forget what the book's called my brother or something but it's the duplass brothers book
2: we'll have somebody look it up
1: Uh, all right those are your two and get well that and And get get it it off the web so that's three right yeah but you're just sort of like somebody
2: who's gone on a diet and you're just like you know you've been on it a week you know. Oh, you th- you think I'm gonna go back on? I don't know, Definitely. but
0: you're like you know, <laughs> you're gonna be like two packs a day when you come back. <laughs> <Yeah. that. laughs> <laughs>
1: look, I'm not claiming I cut back on my ice cream consumption, no, it's but cool. I you know, I'm not called, gonna judge you. the book is called Like Brothers. Like, like Brothers, Brothers, thank you. Like Brothers, thank you.
2: Um, somehow or other, I'm not surprised. I, there's something Duplassian. I could see you being. Well, I look a lot like Mark Duplass. Yeah, you do look a little bit. Like and Mark,
1: interestingly, I, that you know, for a long time, I got Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. But I think that's wrong. I think it's only because more people. But know you do look like Mark Duplass. I look a lot like Mark Duplass. Yeah,
0: you do.
2: All right. Um, all right, Brian.
0: Um, the first thing is a, more, is a slightly general thing, which is that for people who like to go out and hear music in New Haven, there are, uh, even off the top of my head, three new things. Mm. Um, there's a new venue opening called the State House. It is, not surprisingly, on State Street. <laughs> mm. And it's starting to book some really interesting things. Um, there's a place called the Rough Draft, which is taking the place of the former space in Hamden, there's a new concert series called, um, it, I think it's actually called the East Rock Concert Series, but it's out of Mactivity, the place on um, Nickel Street in East Rock. And it is, it is, these three things are all sort of contributing to New Haven's kind of growing nightlife thing. And so uh, you are all encouraged to check those places out um the second thing is that i i read a lot of biographies and nonfiction kind of stuff and one of the things that really hit me recently was a biography of django reinhardt who is this jazz guitar player mm-hmm. the biography is by uh michael Dregni, and it's it's just called uh, django i th- 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 for some reason i seem to be attracted to things that are named after the very things that they're about spelled django yes. Yes. yes um but it's a, it's a really cool biography even if you don't know who he is, or even particularly like jazz for its evocation of Paris um, at a really cool point in its history, you know, from from basically from 1900 to
2: 1950. Right. There sort of aren't many uncool periods in Paris. Yes. But. That one's particularly right. fraught. So yeah. um, just to maybe uh, build on to your the, the state house, uh, m- one of my adventures today was that I took the brand new Connecticut Rail train. Yes. The CT, no P as I think of it because you, there are no bathrooms. <laughs> 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 kind of but um, So uh, the first thing you do is you get off the train you run over to the Elm City Co-op and are you there buy windows? some honesty <laughs> and stuff like that. So yeah. But anyway, it's really great. It's really fun. It's for the machine. You buy the ticket. It's very easy to use and it goes swiftly down the line. And uh, it's great. I mean, it just, and you get off, I get off uh, at the State Street Station. It's a short walk over here. And you you kind of get off, you're dumped into the so-called Ninth Square area too, which I think is sort of good too, because I think a lot of people come down to New Haven and they go to Yale Art Gallery, they do this, they do that. They might not experience some of the stuff. I, I, you know, I'm less familiar with that. So it's really a great thing. And I think people should use it and, you know, and do the reverse, obviously. Come up to Hartford. We have things to offer you uh, there and we can guide you around to things. And, and oh, I want to say a thing, which is the DOT is doing something that's very smart, which is they have a lot of human beings around in Tons. red shirts, Tons. the red shirted guys yes. and women. And, yeah. and, and, and that's a great thing because people often don't use mass transit, particularly buses, I think, because they think they won't be able to figure it out. And then they'll feel stupid. And then somebody will yell at them because they don't have the right thing when they're getting <laughs> on the bus or something. People are intimidated by mass transit because they think they're going to screw it up. You can't screw it up. There's so many people there are making sure you don't screw it up. I'm going to use my remaining time to just say I do endorse the writing of Anthony Lane, and in particular I would recommend going back in your stack of New Yorkers to the June 18th one, where he reviews the well, I'll actually uh, read quickly this, I've got 90 seconds, okay, he says which brings us to another famous uh, William, Bill Clinton, who can write has hooked up with James Patterson, who can't, but whose work has sold more than 375 million copies, most of them to happy and contented customers for whom good writing would only get in the way. Uh, This unlikely pack has resulted in The President is Missing, uh, which we must, uh, not without reservations, describe as a thriller. Uh, Now that's a great little line there, not without reservations. He says, get a load of this, quote, The stun grenades detonate, producing a concussive blast of 180 decibels. And then he comes back, 180 mark you, and not a decibel less. If that isn't thrilling, (laughs) I can't imagine what is. And the whole thing is just really terrific. And one of the things that he asked, back to your Don Winslow point, is, Bill Clinton could have picked anybody. Yeah. But why did he why, pick such a James terrible James Patterson. <laughs> why didn't he <laughs> pick Don Winslow? He could have had Martin Cruz Smith. He could have had anybody. So, uh, anyway, it's a great piece. And Anthony Lane really is a truly funny, read-out-loud writer, even if he's a little creepy about women in tight costumes. Uh, all right. Thanks very much to uh, my wonderful panel here. That's Lucy Gelman, Mark Oppenheimer, uh, Brian Slattery. They are all the hosts of Unorthodox. <laughs> uh,
1: Number one Jewish podcast on the web. <laughs> Only podcast on which you've been twice Gentile of the Week. All right. I have to We have to go. (laughs)
3: All right.